So we've been talking about the church. We've seen that church is kind of like a, a puzzle. And we've seen that church is like Jenga. And that when you start pulling pieces out and there's disconnection, then, then you have a pretty good chance of it crumbling. And it cannot be the building that God wants it to be, the temple of God. We've seen that uh, church is made up of, of people like Captain America. Just like doing that. Uh, and we've seen that when we are a church, what we are is a group of people who have been uniquely equipped because we've given our lives to Jesus and we've become believers. And that's what makes up a church is a group of believers who gather together in the presence of God. And we've seen that, that when the local body gathers together, that is the time that God makes His presence known most specifically. And that definitely happens more fully when people come to church thinking, what can I do to serve other people? What can I do to build this church up? And so today we're going to finish up this series on on the church and we're going to look at something very important and that is spiritual gifts. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. And we're just going to look at it verse by verse because of what Paul says in verse 1. He says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now I think that this statement, maybe more than any other statement in all of the Bible, is almost laughable. Not because of what Paul says, but because of what I witness going on in churches around our country. When you think about spiritual gifts... And you hear Paul saying, hey, I don't want you to be uninformed. And you look at the churches in our country, it's, it's almost funny because churches seem to be so uninformed about spiritual gifts. You have churches on one end of the spectrum. A lot of Baptist churches, of which we are one, who are even afraid to talk about the spiritual gifts. And they put them in some corner, and for whatever reason, maybe because they don't want the supernatural, maybe because they, they think that it might change their theology if they really dive into the spiritual gifts. Whatever it might be, you have this one side of people who just ignore spiritual gifts altogether. Spiritual gifts are for those other guys down the street that like spiritual gifts, but here we do things a little bit different. On the other side of the spectrum, you have churches that make one or two spiritual gifts higher and greater than all of the other spiritual gifts, mainly speaking in tongues, right? But some other things that, that aren't even listed in the Bible. And they become the greatest spiritual gifts. And they're so obsessed and so focused on these gifts that what the Bible says about spiritual gifts doesn't really matter because, look, we speak in tongues, we have all these gifts, and look how magnificent it is when we show up together and do these things. And they seem just as uninformed as the people who won't talk about them because they're so wrapped up in just one or two of the gifts. And so when Paul looks at this local body of believers, this church in Corinth, and says, hey, I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts, it's really interesting to me because we've seemed to have ignored that in the modern church. Well, Paul didn't want them to be uninformed, but who cares if we're uninformed about the spiritual gifts? And so my goal today is to look at the words that Paul speaks after this, verse 11, and at least take a step forward in our understanding of the spiritual gifts to be maybe a little bit less uninformed about the spiritual gifts. And hopefully we'll start to see what spiritual gifts are and we'll start to see how they're to be used and we'll start to see what the benefits are of using those spiritual gifts. John MacArthur says this about spiritual gifts. He says, they are the Lord's primary channel 
of making Christians become Christ in the world, His visible and manifest body. He also says this, if those gifts are not being used, or not being used rightly, the body of Christ cannot be the corporate manifestation of its head, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the work of God is hindered. Our whole series has been based on, on one thing, and that is that when we gather, God's presence should be so, so powerful that it makes unbelievers fall down on the ground and say God is really among them. And we've talked about how our disobedience in the American church, the things God has commanded, is probably part of the reason that we don't see God moving that powerfully. John MacArthur reminds us that spiritual gifts is a huge step in the obedience process if we really and truly desire to see God move. So let's see what Paul says, starting here in verse 2. He says, You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Now this, this verse is, is widely talked about and argued about amongst scholars. There are more reasons. I read more reasons and ideas about why Paul put this here in this context than I, than I care to even think about this morning or even that I can care to remember. And, and so here's the difficulty. It, it seems that, that Paul makes this opening statement, hey, I want you to know about spiritual gifts. And then he says this thing that doesn't seem connected at all. But a little context is important here. First of all, uh, it says here that they are led away, and it says that they're influenced. Another word for influence is to be carried away. And, and if you know anything about the church in Corinth, it should be this, that the Corinthian people had come out of a background of idol worship. In the city of Corinth, there was a temple uh, to one of their goddesses, and the people worshipped that goddess. And so what would happen in a typical worship festival is that the people would be paraded around the city and they would follow, they'd be led by some leader of their religion. And they would follow him and follow him and follow him. And the end of this parade would be a temple where they would go in front of this idol. Now, because it was an idol, a god made of metal and stone and things like that, they would look at it and it would look back at them. And it wouldn't say anything to them. And so what was happening in the Corinthian church, or excuse me, in the city of Corinth, not the Corinthian church, is that people would get this ecstatic speech going. And so they'd start babbling, and they would start saying these things that weren't intelligible words, and they would just start pretending that it was coming from this idol. Now, we see in the book of Corinth that probably, or Corinthians, that a lot of that probably came from a demonic influence. And so the Corinthian people, when they become Christians, are, are, are caught up in this same idea. They look at this gift that we call tongues, this heavenly language, and they become so obsessed with it, not because it's different necessarily, but because it's what they're used to, and it's what was really seen as the best gift within the context of the religion that they had come out of. And so they, they start to do this, this speaking in tongues, and, and they make it the priority within the church. And so when Paul talks in the book of Corinthians, especially chapters 12, 13, and 14, what you see is Paul kind of fighting against them, saying, tongues is the greatest gift because it's, it's like the mouthpiece of God, just like our old religion. Okay, And so here when Paul looks at them, and he says to them, hey, don't be like pagans, like the people you were before you accepted Jesus as your Savior, who are led to mute idols. And, and he's saying two things, I really think, here. He's saying, first of all, that when these people 
were not followers of Jesus. They were really slaves. Those two words there seem to say that they had no other option but to go to these mute idols. Oftentimes in, in Christianity and the people around us that look at Christianity, they, they seem to look at us and they seem to say, wow, I don't want to become a Christian because I'll lose my freedom. I'll lose the ability to do the fun things that I want to do, to live the life that I want to live. But Paul, in the midst of this, this talk on gifts, seems to say, hey, when you come to Jesus, that is when you truly have freedom. Even, and this is Paul's main point, to use the gifts that God gives you or not. He said, hey, when, when you were led by these religious leaders and these demonic spirits and you were babbling things out of your mouth, you really had no control over whether you did that or not. You were simply a slave to Satan and to evil. But now that you have come to Jesus, you have the right to use those gifts or to not use those gifts. So that's a pretty important deal as Paul sets up the rest of this letter. As a Christian, you have the ability to use or to not use the gifts that God has given you, the spiritual gifts. Now in verse 3, if you'll continue on with me, he says, Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is another verse that's, that's really widely debated. I mean, why is this here and what's going on? And so the, the issue in this verse is context. I mean, it doesn't seem like anybody within a church setting would be crying out in the middle of a worship service or a Christian gathering, Jesus be cursed. Right? I mean, we've never heard that in our church, and I don't think you've probably ever heard that in any Christian congregation. And so what does Paul mean by this Jesus is a curse thing is, is really the big question. There's 12 different options that scholars give and they're all really, really complicated. So let me just skip through that because I didn't really understand it. And let me get you to the point of what I think Paul is saying. I think that what Paul is saying is that our spiritual gifts must declare when we use them, Jesus is Lord. And so Paul says, look, here's one thing. You have the right or right not to use your spiritual gifts. You can or cannot use your spiritual gifts. But here's the first way that you can know whether or not something is actually a spiritual gift or if it is something that you are making up or something that is demonic and the devil is using. If your gift and its usage declares Jesus to be the Savior and King of the world, then you can know that it is from the Holy Spirit. If you were to flip over to 1 Corinthians 15.2, it's interesting because there's actually people in this church that Paul is talking to who don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And so they look at Jesus much like a lot of people that call themselves Christians today look at Jesus. They look at Jesus as this person who died for their sins and saved them and allows them to do whatever they want in their lives. But what Paul is saying to this people, these people who don't believe in that resurrection, he's saying, look, Jesus is not just your Savior. Jesus is also your Lord, the one who is in charge of your life. And if you are going to have spiritual gifts, then you must be a person who gives your life to Jesus and confesses that Jesus is in control of everything by the way in which you live your life. And if you want to really use spiritual gifts and know that they are from God, then they must reflect that same truth, that Jesus is not just Savior. But Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords who is in control of the earth and who deserves our respect in all of our lives. 
Jesus is truly the only audience that we should be serving. And so Paul has set this up. They're, they're really two set-up verses. But what they say is simply this. You have the ability to use your gifts or you can choose not to. And you can only know that a spiritual gift is a spiritual gift if you are somebody who is calling Jesus Lord. And if that gift, when you use it, declares Jesus to be Lord on our earth. If you go to verse 4, he says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, the same God is at work in verses 4 through 6. Now what Paul is talking about here, what Paul is focusing on, is unity within diversity. See that? He's not talking about whether the gifts are diverse or whether we should be unified. He's focused on both of those aspects, that within the diversity of these spiritual gifts, that God has given us, we should be unified together as a church. Now pay attention in verses 4 through 6 because you see in those verses a reference to the Trinity. We believe as Christians, we should believe, it's biblical, in the Trinity. That is that God is three persons in one person. I can't explain it to you in a way that's going to make that any more understandable than the sentence I just gave you. But the truth is, that is what God is. He is three persons in one person. When you read this, it says here that the Spirit is giving the gifts, that the work is being done by God, and that the Savior is involved in the process. Paul seems to be saying that the work of God through spiritual gifts that he gives you comes from a triune God, and all of it is from him. And so we notice three things really here. First of all, we notice that there are all different kinds of gifts. If you look at verse 4 one more time, there are different kinds of gifts. Despite one God giving it, there are different kinds of gifts. Now, if you look down at verses 8 through uh, 10, you would see this list of gifts. And the list is pretty unimportant, if you can say that, about verses in the Bible. Uh, it's a small list. There's bigger lists in the New Testament. And none of those lists are meant to say all of the spiritual gifts. There are people in books who write and say, well, this gift is this and this gift is this. And and then there's these spiritual tests. You've probably taken one if you've been in Christian circles for very long. And they identify exactly your spiritual gift based on these lists that you see in the New Testament. But the writers of the New Testament didn't mean to say, here's the gifts, here's all of them, or else the list would have been the same every single time. They meant to say, hey... God provides a variety of gifts to the people who, who are Christians. God gives you a variety of gifts so that a church can be everything that God has called the church to be. And so right there in verse 4, you see it straightforward. He says, look, there's all kinds of gifts within the church, but only one God, one Spirit gives those gifts. Now to go back to context, the Corinthian people had this emphasis on tongues, right? And so what was happening in, in their church is that they were focused on that one gift. And so everybody wanted the gift of tongues. It's like, well, I can kind of sense that I have this gift, but I want that gift. And, well, this gift isn't as good as that gift. But Paul says, hey, how could one gift be better or worse if it's the Holy Spirit who is giving those gifts to people as he sees fit? To say that one gift is less than another gift is to say that God is not always giving His best. And I don't think that any of us want to say that. If you were to look at verse 5 again, it's very fascinating. Verse 5 says that there are different kinds of service. And so what Paul is saying is that the effectiveness of our gifts 
not in how much effectiveness it has, but in the results that come from the use of our gifts, is different for everybody. What your gift results in is going to be different than what my gift results in. And what another person's gift results in is going to be different than what another person's gift results in. But notice, again, it's pretty important to Paul, that it all comes from the same Lord. It all comes from Jesus. And so he's saying, if your gift results in a church being more organized then that's from Jesus, and so don't minimize that. If your gift results in people growing in their faith, that's from Jesus. Don't minimize that. If your gift results in more people coming to salvation, well, that's from Jesus, and so don't minimize it. If your gift results in people being able to worship more fully when they gather on a Sunday, don't minimize that, because that's from Jesus. And he looks at these people and he says, look, the results of your gifts are not all going to be the same. Some of us are not going to have the gift of of leading people to Jesus. It's our job still, and we need to tell people about Jesus, but we know that certain people have that gift, right? They seem to tell somebody about Jesus, and then all of a sudden that person's crying and giving their lives to Jesus. Billy Graham is the most clear and large example, but I know people that can do that on a personal level. Not everybody has that gift. And sometimes we feel like, well, my gift doesn't result in something like that, but But Paul is telling us, look, gifts result in different things and that's all from God. And then notice, if you can can make this emphasis any more clear, verse 6 again, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, the same God at work. And so here we see this idea of working. And again, it's about what we do being different, but all from the same God. And so here's what Paul is saying in verses 4 through 6. He's saying there's one God in three persons. And that God gives people different gifts. And in the midst of it, he says that those people need to use those gifts for service. And the service is going to be different. The work that you do, the service that you do, is different. Not all of us should be doing the same exact thing. And the results of that work are going to be different. Not different in the amount of result, but difference in the type of result that they produce. In no way should we ever diminish the gifts, underestimate the gifts, be unthankful for the gifts that God has given us because He has given us all different gifts for the building up of His church. And that's exactly what Paul says in verse 7. Now to each of you, the manifestation of the Spirit is for the common good. In verse 7, Paul gives us the result of us being a church that uses the gifts. The first is that it's the manifestation of the Spirit. That simply means that it shows God's Spirit to the world. We've talked about how the church should be that, how when we gather, God's Spirit should be seen and, and God's powerfulness should be present in our midst. And what Paul is saying here is that when people use their varying spiritual gifts in the service that God has called them to, and he produces results, different results, what happens is it shows the world the truth and the reality of the Spirit of God in us. If a church really wants to show that God is behind what they are doing, that God is in their midst, that they really are following something that is real, then a major part of it is us being willing to use our spiritual gifts for the glory of God. The second thing that he says there is that it's for the common good. I think this is pretty much synonymous with the building up. 
We talked about that last week. That's one of Paul's favorite terms throughout the book. That a church gets built up into this building, metaphorically, this, this temple that brings in God's presence to the world. And I think when Paul says it's for the common good, what he's saying is that when we use our gifts, it builds the church up into what God wants it to be. But there's a nuance to that word that's pretty important. That word has a meaning of bringing together. And so not only does it build our church up, but it allows for our church to be even more connected. Last week we talked about Jenga, as I mentioned earlier, and we talked about how when we are focused on ourselves and when we're not connected, there's going to be holes. And when you pull the holes out, the church is less strong and it can't become what God wants it to be. And now today, Paul seems to be emphasizing the same thing. But he's saying one of the ways that you can be connected is by using your spiritual gifts, the God-given gifts, in order to serve the church, no matter what results it produces. That's two huge things. I mean, honestly, if you think about our church and our goals and the vision that we have and everything that we want to be, couldn't we wrap them up in those two words? Couldn't we say that, yes, we want to show God to be real to this world? And couldn't we say that, yes, we want to be built up by people growing in their relationship with Christ and people coming to salvation? I think we could. And Paul in one verse says that a major, a huge part of that. In fact, I think what Paul is saying is that without this, without you using your spiritual gifts to serve the church, the church cannot be a, a, an entity that shows God's presence to be real to the world and, and glorifies Him by being built up. It just can't happen. Now Paul gives this list in verses 8 through 10, again not exhaustive. I, I'm not even going to go into them today, but uh, they're pretty self-explanatory really. I mean words of wisdom and words of knowledge. We kind of know what those things are. But it's not an exhaustive list. And, and so let's look at verse 11. All these things are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Now, what's really important here is for us to notice each one. Each one would better be translated every. And some of you would look at me and go, I don't think I have a spiritual gift to serve the church. I just don't think I have it. I've heard that in our congregation. I'm not sure that I do have a spiritual gift. But this word actually means every. And let me just give you a couple of other uses of this word in the New Testament. Romans 14:12 says, So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Each of us is the same word. And I don't think any of us want to go, well, there's some people out there who probably won't have to face God someday. No, that means every person will have to give an account to God. Hebrews 6.11 says, We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be realized. I don't think that Paul is saying, Hey, I hope some of you show that you're Christians until the end so that you get to go to heaven. I don't think Paul is saying, almost all of you, I hope that you are really Christians and you get salvation. I think Paul is saying, I hope that every one of you are in eternal glory with me in heaven. And so when Paul uses this same word, every, I think what he is saying is this, all of you have a spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit has given you. And if you look at this passage and you're not uninformed, what it says is that you need to use that gift to serve the church so that God can produce something through it. 
I think we're just as bad as the church in Corinth, though. Maybe not here at Creekside, but in the church, the modern church in America, we seem just as bad as the church in Corinth. In Corinth, they valued tongues, right? They, they just were, it was like, this is the gift. If I just had tongues, if I could just speak that heavenly language, then I could accomplish something great for the church and for God. And we still see that today, right? A lot of churches. I went out with a girl a couple of times actually that said to me, I just pray for the gift of tongues and my dad's trying to teach me. I don't get that. It's just a spiritual gift. And then on the other side though, wouldn't you say in our Baptist circles and the people who aren't like those people over there that we value the gift of teaching? Isn't that the gift that we value? Oh, man, if I could preach like that guy, I won't say my own name, that feels vain. If I could preach like that guy I heard on the radio, if Chad could preach like that guy I heard on the radio, then our church would be just so built up. Oh man, if I was more musical, then really I could do something for the church. If I like children, then really I could do something for the good of our church. Isn't that the truth? I mean, it seems like people still to this day are on one side or the other. It's either this gift of tongues and these kind of miraculous, crazy things or, or the gift of teaching and knowledge and wisdom and, and maybe working with children and doing music. But Paul is saying, every one of you have a gift. Every single one of you. And all of those gifts are to be used by you serving the church so that God can produce an effect. The effect might be different. It might not be the same. People that come up here and play music, the effect that God produces through that is us being able to have a worshipful experience on Sunday morning. The effect that hopefully I have when I teach is, is that you learn from the Word of God and know more fully how God wants you to live your life. But the effect that you have might be something, it will be something totally different from that. In fact, if we all had the same gifts, our church would be very, very unhealthy and we would not get a lot done. Some of you will be organization. Some of you will be helping children to grow. Some of you will be encouraging others to do their gifts. Some of you will just be serving the church and, and making sure that some things get done that would never get done without your service. And the list could go on and on and on, but you need to take seriously what Paul and God is saying to you, and that is that you are uniquely equipped, if you are truly a Christian, to serve your church, the body of believers that you gather with in front of the presence of God. You need to take that seriously and use that gift to serve. And so here, here's the deal. Besides that, you say, well, that's nice, Chad, but what does that even look like, right? I mean, what's that look like? Well, let me tell you a, a couple of things about our congregation. First of all, it is a big deal to me, and has been even before today. I'm not making this up on the spot. It is a big deal to me that we don't fit into the typical American model of church. And the typical American model of church says, okay, I'm the pastor, we have some elders and a leadership team, we create a vision for the church, we beg people to volunteer and fit into those roles. Pretty typical, right? You go and visit another church, they'll probably have an announcement about Sunday school teachers on a Sunday morning. That's, that's just the way it is. But at our church, part of our vision, part of who we are, the reason that we have serve at the end of our tagline is because we want to do it different. What we want to be is a church that is built up based on the gifts that people have. 
There is no ministry that we need to do that God has not equipped somebody in this church to lead and be a part of. There is nothing. And so it is my hope that as a church, we will be a church that is built up and looks like whatever God wants it to be through you choosing to serve the church. And so that goes to the next thing that's really important for our church. If we're really going to be that, then we better do a a much better job of helping you understand what your spiritual gifts are, right? If we want to be a church that looks like what God has equipped you to do, then you need to understand what those spiritual gifts are. I wish I could give you a quick answer for that. But here's what's happening and and what will happen as we move forward. I, I have started to just a little look at how to determine spiritual gifts. I think the tests are not that good. I, I really, I, I've taken those tests and they're kind of accurate, but they probably could have told me anything and I would have said, yeah, that kind of sounds right, you know. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it feels like a psychic or something, like where they just say the most vague things and then we, we kind of latch on. And so, so for me, I think we need to be a church, and and I I will head this up, that really begins to learn, and I wish I could say this was done already, it's not, that really begins to learn how we can determine our spiritual gifts. So that we can be a church that really figures that out together and helps each other know that. And so eventually, within the next year, hopefully, don't hold me to that, we have other things to do, but as we take these steps forward that hopefully you've been seeing we've been taking as a church and trying to do things God's way, one of the big steps for us is to offer a class, I hate the word class, think of something better than a class, to offer something like a class that's better than a class that will help you to understand what your spiritual gifts are so that we can be a church that is built up in God's way, not my way, not Vic's way, not any of our leadership's way, but God's way. And so that is what we are committed to as a church. When we say believe, gather, connect, serve, when we're talking about serving, we're not just talking about you getting plugged in. We're talking about you using the God-given spiritual gift that you have if you are a believer in order to serve this church. Now you still say, okay, Chad, that's nice. So you're telling me within the next year I can start, right? I mean, that, that gives me some time. I can take it easy for about a year until you figure this out and you're never on time with anything. And so that gives me like a year and a half because you won't be happy with it, whatever it is, in a year. And so I got like a year and a half until I start doing this. No, I, I think that this is so important that we need to start now. And so let me just give you a simple tip in the meantime. Uh, the best way that I that I know of right now to see and find out the way that God has equipped you is to find another Christian that you're close to and say, how do you think God has equipped me? What gifts do you think I have? It feels a little like compliment searching, but I've found that we can't see them in ourselves. I've told many people, oh, I can see this gift within you. And they go, really? How do you not know that? It's as, it's as clear as can be that you have that gift, but we don't see the gifts within ourselves. One of the reasons that, that I'm up here and I preach and I use this gift is because people have looked at me through the years and said to me, Chad, when you speak, it's really powerful. Chad, when you speak, it makes sense to me. It's logical. And, and they've affirmed in me this gift. And so I have continued to use this gift. And so, in the meantime, in the short term, this is what I encourage you, is as you become more connected to the church, hopefully there's somebody within our body that you're connected to. And I would encourage you to set aside a time, whether it's after church or to go out to coffee with them, and just have a conversation and say, how do you think I'm equipped? 
I could be one of those people. I, I could almost tell everybody sitting here today uh, how they are equipped. I could almost tell every one of you how I think you've been uniquely equipped to serve our church. But find somebody that you feel comfortable with in that conversation. Talk to them and then come to me and say, Chad, here's how I think I'm equipped. What are we going to do about it to be the church that God wants us to be? And then we can have a conversation and we can start to build this thing up in God's way the way that He wants us to do it, by you serving Him through your spiritual gifts. And so now, here's the deal. I think we're a little bit less uh, uninformed about spiritual gifts. There's a lot more to learn, I'm sure, but I think we're a little bit less uninformed. And so now the question is, are we going to do something about it? And I hope that you would do something about it. With great power comes great responsibility to stick to my superhero theme. And so I say to you, you have been given great power in your relationship with Jesus through your spiritual gifts, and you have a responsibility to build this church up by serving the church with those gifts. And I ask that you would take that seriously. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray that we would be a church that does things the way that you want. And you know that I pray that, God. Every single week, uh, I, I pray that, God, just about. And a big part of that, Lord, is for us to recognize the spiritual gifts that we have and to put them to use in service of you and others, God, that are in this congregation. Father, I thank you that that you've given us such great free will, Lord, that everybody who sits here today has a right, because you are such a loving and kind Savior and Lord, to use the gift or not use the gift, Lord. And I pray that the people that are here today and the people who hear this sermon on the Internet, God, will, will say, I want to use my gifts because I know how great Jesus is. And I know how great of a gift the church is, and so I want to make it what it is supposed to be in this world, a, a, an entity that shows God to be real and true and powerful, and an entity that is used to disciple people and lead others to a relationship with God. Lord, I pray that we would take it so seriously as a church, and we would never be a church, God. Even though it's so easy to fall back into it, God, let us never be a church that creates the needs for volunteers and then plugs people in, but let us be a church that follows you and says, God, who have you equipped in which way to do what? And then we would go and we would do what you have called us to do, not what we think is right, not what we read in a book, not what seems like a great idea, God, but what you have called us to do through the gifts that you have given to the people that are part of Creekside Bible Church. Lord, we pray that we would be committed to that always and forever moving forward, Lord. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.